Today's preaching passage comes from the book of James, James chapter one, starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. James one, verse 19, this is God's word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. Amen, amen. We're looking together at the book of James, and we saw last week that James is uh, addressing a group of Christians who are under significant pressure because they have been uh, spread throughout uh, the known world at the time. They are separated from one another. They're separated from Jerusalem. And we looked at the testing of the faith that they are experiencing. And we saw uh, last week how James is instructing those Christians to count it all joy. It's an amazing piece of teaching. When you're going through suffering, count it all joy. Well, how? And how can we do that? And so James uh, taught us that the way to do that is to ask God for the wisdom to know how. And in particular, the wisdom to realize that God has a purpose even in our suffering. There's an end that we should focus upon. And for the sake of that end, we can count it all joy. Well, now uh, James is uh, addressing this morning a related theme. When you are under pressure, uh, when you are dispersed, as so many of us have experienced in recent days and as these group of Christians were experiencing, the possibility is that the shape of your faith, the shape of your spirituality, the shape of your religion becomes distorted, inauthentic, even fake. And so James is now talking about real religion and what that's like and how we can have it. And he's focusing on hearing and doing the word or putting it into practice. First of all, he looks at hearing. This is verses 19 uh, to 21. Uh, Verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. (laughs) What a memory verse for our day, right? 
I mean, you could almost reverse that and say that would be a good description of our age. Everyone is quick to anger, quick to speak, and very slow to hear. But James is saying in our relationships with one another, especially when we're feeling under pressure and confused, we need to focus on hearing, not speaking, and certainly not on getting angry. Hearing is hard work. To really understand what someone else means, it's not easy. True listening is an active experience. You have to ask yourself questions. Why does he say that? What does she mean when she says this? What is she not saying, but she wants me to understand? Until you can imagine yourself thinking and saying what the other person is thinking and saying, you probably haven't really understood. So the first thing is to listen in these human relationships. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. Now James is not saying that all anger is wrong. Um, uh, There is a righteous kind of anger. Uh, But anger is intrinsically dangerous. The Bible elsewhere says, In your anger do not sin. Indicating therefore that in the nature of anger there's a possibility of going too far, losing your temper, lashing out. And uh, James is talking about that kind of unrighteous anger. Slow to anger. There is a place for righteous anger. Martin Luther uh, used to say that he never wrote or preached well unless he was angry. What a character Martin Luther must have been. There is a place for righteous anger against the evils of this day. Righteous anger against false teaching, yes. But slow to anger. Why? Uh, Because, James tells us, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what does he mean by the righteousness of God? It can be a little confusing. James uses the word righteousness in a different way than the Apostle Paul uses the word righteousness, typically. When the Apostle Paul talks about righteousness, he's usually um, using that word to mean the righteousness that is reckoned to us through faith in Christ, Uh, what theologians call alien righteousness, which is not some kind of out of space alien visitation, but a righteousness that is not ours, but is given to us through faith, Christ's righteousness. That's what the Apostle Paul typically means by the righteousness of God. But James doesn't mean that. What James means here is what God wants that is right. 
um, morality, truth, the advance of the kingdom of God, justice, holiness, what God wants that is right. And the reason why we should be slow to anger is that the anger of man, or what, you know, unrighteous anger, our human losing our temper, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a great memory verse. Let me encourage you, if you don't have that in your mind and haven't memorized it, and you tend to lose your temper, and maybe not externally, you're too polite to lash out, but internally you're furious. To have in your mind this text, the anger of man or woman does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, that kind of anger will not advance the kingdom of God. It will not build the church. It will not lead to people being saved. It will not help someone spiritually. Remember that text next time you are tempted to write something angry on Facebook. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's pointless. It's not going to do any good. It might do a lot of harm. Well, having uh, thought about how important it is that we hear one another rightly, uh, James then switches in verse 21 to hearing God hearing what God's word says. So he says, verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness. Um, that word for filthiness there indicates, uh, has in its mind uh, grease grime. It's dirt. If you ever cleaned out a um, drain in a sink, you know, you, get your, you put your hand down there, there's all that like hair and grease and like, oh, it's disgusting. It's like grease grime. It's that, that kind of idea, all filthiness. And rampant wickedness. The, the phrase there, rampant, has the idea of over and above. Uh, one Puritan described it in wonderful Puritan languages as as a superfluity of naughtiness. Over and above evil. Therefore put away all filthiness, the grease grime, all superfluity of evil. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When James says put away, that word for put away is used elsewhere in the New Testament for putting someone in prison. It's like casting out. Put it away. Push it off. Nothing to do with you anymore. Put it away. All filthiness and rampant wickedness. If we're, if we're to hear what God is saying to us, the first step is to get rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And you know what that means, don't you? Repentance. Repentance. 
If there is one doctrine today that has been forgotten by the church and certainly forgotten by the world, it is that we are sinners. Oh, the doctrine of the image of God, everyone preaches that. We're made in the image of God. We're all um, special before God. Uh, True, we are made in the image of God. But it's also true that we need, we Christians need, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We have it in balance today. We proclaim that everyone is special. Everyone is made in the image of God, but we don't proclaim total depravity. In fact, the hymns that talk about us being miserable worms, those phrases are sometimes cut out of modern hymn books. But James tells Christians, you've got to actively put away your filthiness. If you want to hear from God, that's the first step. And then he says, receive or welcome with meekness the implanted word. The picture is, of, of course, of sowing, a Jesus picture of the word like a seed that's implanted into the soil. It's planted. The word is a seed, goes into the human heart, but it needs to be received with meekness. We often misunderstand what meekness means in the Bible. In, in, in the English language, meekness has a sense of softness. Um, weakness but the biblical idea of meekness isn't that the biblical idea of meekness is strength under control it's like a horse that has been trained that's then meek it's under control And so what James is saying is, if we're to receive God's word, we need to have a discipline to receive it. Again, listening. Listening is hard work. You can't just let it wash all over you. It's like I'm sitting there, I'm just going to let it wash all over me. You've got to listen with meekness, with discipline. Like, what is God saying to me? Lord, help me to hear you. Leaning forward, listening. Receive with meekness the implanted word, the seed of the word planted down into our hearts, which is able to save your souls. In other words, listening to the Bible is a matter of life and death. What we're talking about when we study the Bible, when we look at the Bible together, is salvation. It's a matter of life or death. Listen. It can save you if you listen. So hearing... This matter of true religion is about hearing, hearing each other. Most of all, hearing God. But James doesn't want to uh, be misunderstood. 
For it's not just about hearing, it's about doing as well. And so from verses 22 to 25, he talks about doing or putting into practice. So verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your soul, yourselves. That uh, phrase there for deceiving yourselves has the sense of um, reasoning to yourself, um, calculating, miscalculating. So what, what James is saying here is if someone only listens but they don't put it into practice, in their mind they're saying something like this. Oh, I love that sermon. That was great. I love the part when he said this. Oh, I really enjoy the book of Romans. It's so exciting. Oh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. I, I'm advancing in my understanding of the uh, 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 economy of the Trinity. I'm really beginning to get it. Oh, the, the idea of helping the poor. That's so profoundly taught throughout the Bible. I love that. But nothing is done. And inside the person is saying, but I understand it better. And so they deceive themselves. Because they're not putting it into practice. So don't be like that, James says. And then he uses an image to help us understand what being like that would be like. And uh, from verses uh, uh, 23, uh, verses 23 and 24, he describes this image. And the image, of course, is of a mirror. For anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, to understand this picture, it's helpful to grasp that ancient mirrors were not like modern mirrors. So modern mirrors, of course, made of glass. And when you look in the mirror, the glass, you see yourself immediately very clearly. But ancient mirrors were not made of glass. Ancient mirrors were highly polished metal. So to see yourself in that kind of mirror, you needed to kind of look around and carefully see what was going on and try and really... You know, oh, is there a spot there? Or did I miss a bit of shaving here? Or you know, there's a bit of dirt here? And really look carefully at your face in the mirror. So what James is saying is listening to the Bible without doing it is like looking in that kind of mirror, and, but then you, don't, you forget what you look like. It doesn't make any difference. And of course, it's meant to be absurd, but that's what it's like to study the Bible and not put it into practice. It's like getting up in the morning and noticing that you've got kind of sleep, but a drool coming out of your mouth and saying, oh yeah, and, and not washing your face. Don't be like that. Change according to what God says in his word. But instead, verse 25, again, extending the image of looking in a mirror, the one who looks into the perfect law, that phrase there for looks into, actually that 
that word for looking into is leaning into. It's the word used of when uh, Mary and Peter went to the tomb and peered into the tomb. It means, it means kind of leaning into. They looking into the perfect law. The perfect law, the word there for perfect, emphasizes the end result. As we looked at the same word in the previous passage last week that talked about the end result. And so James here is talking about how the law has now been fulfilled in Christ. It's perfect in that sense. It's the end result of the law fulfilled in Christ. You look into the law, the perfect law, which is the law of liberty. (laughs) Now that's not what we think of today. But God's word and his law is actually a law of liberty. Christians are not legalists. We're for liberty. Real liberty. Freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is becoming the person that God designed you to be. And the law, therefore, is a law of liberty. The law fulfilled in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, he transforms your life. He gives you the power to be who God designed you to be. You're set free. The law of liberty, you're leading into that. You're looking into, you're peering into the scriptures to understand them. And you persevere. That is, uh, you remain with it. It's not like 30 seconds and you're done. You're persevering, you're remaining with it. Not a hearer who forgets, not the person who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like, but a doer who acts, you put it into practice, you'll be blessed in your doing. Remember, James is talking about count it all joy. Counting it all joy, even in the midst of time of testing, is a blessing. This blessing, this true happiness, this real joy will come as you hear God's word and then put it into practice. But then uh, finally, the question naturally arises, but how do I know whether I'm actually a listening right and a doer who acts? What indications are there that I have real spirituality or true religion? And so James concludes by defining and giving signs of what real religion is, the marks of true religion. First, the sign of someone who doesn't have real religion, and then the sign of someone who does. So verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion here, that word religion, is a word that indicates the external observances. It's used in Acts chapter 26 of the uh, Jewish religion. It's used in the book of Colossians of the external observance of, of a false religion, in that case, of the worship of angels. 
It emphasizes the external acts of going to church, baptism, communion, external observance. So everyone says to themselves, you know, I'm religious. I've been baptized. I'm religious. But does not bridle his tongue. Uh, A bridle is what you use to control a horse. Does not control his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. So what James is saying is, a sure sign of someone who hasn't had the word implanted in their heart is how they talk. That they have a loose tongue. That they talk a good game. That they criticize other people. They haven't bridled their tongue. Why? Because they're deceiving themselves. Instead of it being something that comes from inside, from the heart, from the change that God has wrought by his spirit, they hide that reality by being negative about other people, criticizing other people. It's a smokescreen. They haven't bridled their tongue, and that's how they deceive themselves. Whereas, he says, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled, so the real thing, someone who really has been saved and really does have a real relationship with God, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. So true religion isn't focused on talking a good game to other people, but it's focused on God and what he thinks. It's before God. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, two signs, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Both those things. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. The, the visit word there is used of when God visited his people, Egypt, to rescue them. It doesn't only mean going up to someone's house and knocking on their door and visiting them. It means helping those, well, particularly in the ancient world, orphans and widows. There was no social care medical system, so they were particularly vulnerable. Helping and caring for the vulnerable. That's one sign of real religion. A concern, a practical concern for the poor and the disadvantaged. And the other sign, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We get confused about what the Bible means by the world. The world in the Bible talks is, is a word for the secular order, the pagan order. How things work in the pagan order of things. 
Uh, John says, defines the world this way, therefore. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which means, in the way we tend to talk today, sensuality, and not just sexual license, but including that, but also any kind of could be food, can be binge-watching TV, anything that is just the senses, your sensuality, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or what we would call materialism today. I want more and more and more stuff. I see it, I've got to have it. Bigger houses, bigger boats, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life, what we would call ambition, selfish ambition. I want to get to the top. My career is what matters. Forget everyone else. I'm going to win. Sensuality, materialism, ambition, the pride of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, uh, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the pagan world order. But the person who has real religion keeps themselves unstained from that. And James says, real religion, therefore, is both those things. It's both a practical concern for the poor and it's also a real commitment to piety in its best sense. Personal holiness. Now get this. Churches in history, have tended to emphasize one or other of those two sides of the balance? I mean, right now, the emphasis is all on justice and care for the poor. Well, that's good. But there's another side to it too. Personal piety, holiness, Christ-likeness. I mean, in the past, there was less Emphasis on justice and concern for the poor. And it's all personal piety and Christ-likeness, which is right and good. What James says is real religion is both. Concern for the poor, practically. And a commitment to personal holiness, practically too. So with all this pressure that they were feeling, their religion could become fake. And James is saying it's about hearing one another, most of all hearing God, receive with meekness the implanted word, and doing. Not just talking a good game, but care for the poor, commitment to personal holiness. When um, Rochelle and I uh, first uh, got, got married, we went on honeymoon. And uh, we went on honeymoon to uh, the, one of the Caribbean islands. We got a very cheap ticket because it was hurricane season. And being young and naive, we didn't, you know, I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. Which it was, thankfully. But I didn't really realize that we were taking a risk. And uh, we were there, uh, we had a great time there. And it was wonderful to experience island life for a little bit and we went to a local church it was a very um, 
dynamic local church with a um, passionate preacher. And we went to one of the services, and at the end of the sermon, the passionate preacher gave an altar call. Now, I was a pastor by then already. I'd been a pastor for a while. I'd, I'd been a missionary. I had a doctorate in theology from Cambridge University. I'm sitting there with my new, newly married wife, and I'm listening to this guy give this altar call. And I feel strongly that God wants me to go forward. And I turn to Rochelle and say, this is sort of ridiculous. I know I'm a Christian, but I feel God's telling me to go forward. What do you think? And Rochelle, being a wise woman, said, well, you better go forward then. <laughs> and so I did. I went up to this um, Caribbean preacher, I don't know his name, and I said to him, look, I, I love Jesus. I'm a committed Christian. You know, I'm a preacher. But I sense God wants me to come forward and have you pray for me. So can you pray? And he said, so why are you in the islands? Just got married. And he said, okay. I don't remember what he prayed. But I know he prayed for my marriage and for my ministry. And I've been thinking this week. What would have happened if I'd said no to that divine nudging? And how many of those prayers of that young, passionate preacher have been answered? The uh, Bible here says that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. And what I'm going to do now at the end of this service is I'm going to call you. We're going to have, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you all to shut your eyes. And the broadcast, those who are watching online at home and those gatherings also to shut your eyes. And I want you, with every eye shut, if you want to receive the implanted word, you could be a Christian, but you need to put it into practice in a bigger way. You could not yet be a Christian. But you're sensing that divine nudging. I need God's word to be planted in my heart. I want you just to raise your hand. And I'll pray for us all. Every eye shut and raise your hand. So let's, let's raise your hand. Let's close our eyes. And if you wish to receive the implanted word and do that at home as well. And if you raise your hand at home, I'd love to hear from you. Um, send in an email and just tell me that that's what you did. So if you wish to receive the implanted word, raise your hand. Wonderful. Well, let's pray together. Oh, our Lord God, would you plant your word deep in our hearts? Would you help us to have a practical care for the poor and to live lives undefiled by the world? Oh Lord, plant your word deep in the hearts of those who up to this point haven't yet known you and save their souls, I pray.
in the name of Jesus. Amen.